Bible Speaks with Audley McLean. The Bible Speaks is a weekly ministry of Harvest International. Our prayer is that the Bible Speaks will encourage you in your study of God's Word. You will be able to contact Audley at the address given at the end of this broadcast. And now, here's Audley. Greetings and love to you with blessings from our God. From our God, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Today I come sharing the highlights of a sermon I heard last Sunday at the church which I in which I'm in fellowship, College Road Baptist Church here in Ocala, Florida. Pastor Dr. Alan Cotney, our lead pastor, puts a sermon based on part of Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, and his emphasis was emphases, if you would, were on verses 13 through 34, highlighting just a few points. And he entitled it, Enough is Enough. And even as I listened, I thought about the message, I concluded that the subtitle might be, When is Enough? Not Enough. I'll read the passage in a few moments, but right now, I invite you to join me in prayer and ask you to have an open mind. We pray most directly that the Spirit of God will speak to each of our hearts directly today and that none of us will redirect the message to somebody else. You know what sometimes happens. If so-and-so had been here, if she could only have heard this, if only my daughter, my wife, my partner, my friend, my neighbor. It's not one of those situations. It's today. Like the old Negro spiritual God, it's me, it is me, O Lord standing in the need of prayer. In this case, standing in the need of hearing from the Lord our God. So let's pray together. O God, we, or I, look to you with thanksgiving for the blessings that we've received and that we commit ourselves to you for all the challenges that we face and we trust you for appropriate solutions. Lord, please speak directly to our hearts today and make us willing to apply your message to me first and then to each other person with whom it is shared. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, it is not probable that somebody listening today has at one time or another been caught up with or be tempted to weigh your worth or the worth of somebody else that you are aware of, by the amount of things you possess or they possess. In other words, their earthly wealth. But here is an example of what I'm thinking about. Every so often, I must admit, I find myself searching online for the listed net worth of my favorite sports star, whether it be football or basketball or tennis, And I ask myself, why are they being paid so much to do something that they once enjoyed just doing for the fun of it? 
I can't tell you that I have a satisfying answer. And I also ask myself whether I may not have, even for a brief moment, that sometimes coveted this person. Why she, why he? Perhaps you can at least briefly identify with my line of thinking. Now, as you read the passage from Luke's Club, may I invite you to open your mind for challenges that God the Holy Spirit himself will bring to you. And remember, I'm only the voice of a messenger, the one with whom the message originates. He takes responsibility for it, and he has never shied away from backing up his word because he's God Almighty, and he doesn't fail. Allow your mind to be responsive to the challenges that each of these passages that we may highlight will have for you. The first part of the passage I'll read begins at verse 13, and I'll read to verse 17. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. But perhaps I'll stop reading at verse 15 for now, because later on we refer to the fact that he told them a parable that took his lesson even further. The first mistake the person asked, uh, who approached Jesus asked, he makes the assumption that Jesus was here on earth to settle family disputes, family financial disputes. Based on what we have learned about Jewish family law, it may be that, most probably in fact, that the patriarch of the family had died because this person speaking to Jesus was referencing his brother as the probable executor of the family estate. To him, material positions were the most important thing on his mind as he approached the most important person he would ever meet. He was talking to Jesus. He thought that certainly Jesus was most interested in how the family wealth was divided up. I suggest to you that his worth was in his mind, his divining, his defining status, his defining marker. That's how people will know me if I have my portion of wealth and I can flaunt it. Another young man whose dad was very much alive approached his father for his portion of the wealth. And we all know the story about the so-called prodigal son. But that's the subject of another day's discussion. Let me ask you a question. If you had an opportunity to meet with Jesus in the flesh, what would you use those moments to engage yourself with Jesus? What would you ask? I'm not sure that should be an easy question for you to answer. But let me make a suggestion. Might it not be that the thing that right now preoccupies your mind is what you would ask him about? In his sermon recorded in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is quoted as saying that where your treasure is, 
there will your heart be also. And he was teaching a lesson about storing up treasure on earth, as opposed to storing up treasure in heaven. He wasn't talking just about a bank account. He was talking about a heart attitude. I'll take the liberty of suggesting that where your desire for riches is, there will your heart be also. So don't be defined by your possession. Your possessions. Jesus warns against it. Jesus doesn't think it's that important. Now let me make clear. My thoughts on this point, Jesus, because you don't have the riches of a rock star or a top-flight athlete or a successful business person, Jesus doesn't relieve you of the potential for putting your material possession at the top of your life's value or being defined by your possessions. It may just be about how many suits you have, how many pairs of shoes you have, how many dresses you have, how many cars you possess. It may not be the world-class wealth, but it's just where you live, how you relate to what you possess. Jesus then tells the crowd a parable which needs no explanation, except for the fact that we must be reminded that in the times when Jesus spoke, the banking systems were not yet in place. People would count their wealth by their obvious things, their land, their gold, their silver, which they would store in a safe place within their property, or their cattle. It was stuff they could look at, and it was obvious. Today, some people show off their wealth by the number of gold chains they wear around their neck, or rings they put on their fingers, or the kinds of cars look plural, that they drive. Uh, whatever your way of demonstrating your perceived wealth, that's what I have in mind. With that in mind, let's read the words of Jesus as he continues his discussion with these people. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there will I store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whosoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. The first lesson from this part of Jesus' parable is that we must not put our priorities in our possessions. The second is that what we must remember our provider. We didn't get it all by ourselves as some people want to think. Jesus used this part of his story to remind us that our possessions, our great or small possessions, must never be allowed to define us. Enough is enough, and in God's estimate, you are worth far more than all your earthly possessions combined. 
The second part of the parable, Jesus told, is designed to magnify your worth before God. Because unlike popular opinion, you don't just die, and that's the end of the story. We must measure our real worth from a God perspective. Our worth is not the sum and total of our circumstances. Our worth is measured by what God says we're worth. In God's economy, you're worth more than all the world can provide. This is why Jesus told Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When you take that approach toward life, it frees you from being derailed by worry. Jesus uses the simple lesson of challenging us to consider the very birds of the air. Consider under normal circumstances the lack of control we have over our very life of when we die. Given these realities, Jesus asks the rhetorical question, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Jesus says, Come to me. Come to me. It's a spiritual thing today, and I will give you rest. May I take this opportunity to, to remind you that God thinks highly of you and gave his Son for your redemption. Trust him, make him Lord, and begin to live life from a heaven perspective. Amen. I've wandered far away from God. This program is cared for by listeners who care. Your prayers and financial investment in this ministry helps to keep the good news on the air. We look forward to hearing from you and invite you to write us at Harvest International, Post Office Box 6690, Ocala, Florida, 34478. Again, that's Harvest International, Post Office Box 6690, Ocala, Florida, 34478.